You are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. We are going to head into our series. This is the last week in the Gospel of John around these seven I am statements of Jesus. And so we'll jump in right away here into John chapter 15, and we're going to read verses 1 through 11. So join us. Jesus is speaking this. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I've kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let us pray. Uh, Lord, we come under your word today and we edify your truth, your word as flourishing truth for our lives. We find hope, truth, freedom, joy, satisfaction. It's found in your word. And so, Lord, will you humble us today? Will you convict us of the areas in our lives that we need to give to you? Will you help us to take joy in the parts of our lives that you have given to us? And so, Jesus, we just pray all of this truth to be known well in our lives. And we pray it through your precious name, Jesus. Amen. It's hard for us to really understand what a wonderful thing it is for God to declare to us that he has spoken these words to be given so that our joy may be full, that his joy may be in us and our joy may be full. That is a hopeful truth for us. But not only is it hopeful, it's a promise. It's a promise for all of those who abide in the name of Christ. I don't know if you guys feel this way, but the calendar seems to be turning pretty quickly. We're fast approaching the first day of fall in nine days. I was outside. I was going to say frolicking in my garden, but I don't have a garden that felt right. And I was inundated with bees. I don't know if you were as well, but it indicates one thing to me. When I see bees, I know street fair is here. I heard somebody whispering it over here. You know it. Or as the bees call it, 
heaven, right? <laughs> I, I mentioned street fair a week ago, and somebody said that they were excited for street fair, and their response to their excitement for street fair was that they were going to get bubble tea. And I, I had the same response as you probably did in this room. I cried out, blasphemy. <laughs> I tried to not stone her for what she said, because... Uh, who wants tea and tapioca mixed? I don't get that. Uh, if you would have said, I'm going to street fair for premium ice cream, I would understand that. Or wings or whatever. But bubble tea? Uh. In a couple weeks, our farmers will jump in their combines. They'll begin to harvest. The fall reveals to us the true motives of farmers. We may think it's because they get summers and winters off. But we reveal, it reveals the true motives of farmers here in the fall. And it's yields. Yields. The whole goal of the farming enterprise is yields, produce, the fruit of their crop. Farmers wouldn't farm if their fields weren't producing. And so in that we find another glorious truth in the spiritual world. So it is with God. So it is with God. Do you know that God is a farmer? That God has planted people? That we are his garden? That he wants to produce a fruit in us for his own pleasure. You and I were created by God for a purpose, and that purpose was producing fruit for him. And so what kind of fruit is God wanting to produce in our lives? Well, it's obedience and righteousness and worship and glory from his creation. But if we are his garden, and if we are created to produce fruit... It leads us to a fundamental question. How do I know if my fruit is pleasing to God? Each and every religion in this world answers that question differently. What will it take for me to please God? Some might convey stringent observance of regulations and rules, or through ritual and sacrifice or some level of transcendence, what do we do with this nagging feeling in our lives that we never measure up? Well, our passage today, John 15, gives us the answer to these questions. Because in this passage, we learn how we can be pleasing to God and how God wants to produce fruit in our lives. And so here's the big idea today. There is nothing we can do to please God without Christ. There is nothing that we can do to please God without Christ. And innately, we may think that statement is restrictive or limiting or belittling, yet it is the joy of all creation to know it and esteem it because it is the true way of flourishing and life and abundance and unity for all of creation. A loving God brings us this truth for our own joy and for his glory. In verse 1 in John 15, Jesus says that I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. And this metaphor may seem strange to us. And for a long time, I thought Jesus was using the vine as an illustration. I imagine Jesus walking through a vineyard and thinking to himself, I could probably use this vine to illustrate what I want to teach my disciples. Now, to be sure, the vine is an illustration, but he's not just using the vine to illustrate a teaching. He's doing more than that, just as we have learned in all of these I am statements. 
We remember when Jesus says, I am, he's not just claiming something small. When Jesus says, I am, he's hearkening back to the name above all names in the Old Testament. When God himself declares to his creation his name, that I am who I am, Yahweh, the name above every name. Jesus is claiming, I am, hearkening to that name. And he uses these ideas and these metaphors to teach us what God is like. He uses bread and the door and good shepherds and light to tell us a little bit more about who God is. But he also is revealing a very deep truth about who he is and what he can't come here to do. Jesus did not say that I am like a vine not trying to convert himself to a vine. He says he is the vine. Similar, he doesn't say, I am a vine, as though there are many vines and he's just one of them. He says, I am the vine, the only true vine. But that's not all. He doesn't just say, I am the vine, simply. He says, I am the true vine. So what does that mean? How does a vine become true? Well, the root of this word true would imply to us he's talking about a real, authentic, the original vine. He is the genuine vine, and that is the focus of this passage. And so with that, we we think of this question. If Jesus is the true vine, then what is the untrue vine? What are untrue vines? Well, those who were in the audience of Christ in that day would have known probably exactly what he was talking about. He was talking about the people of Israel. Because throughout the Old Testament, the grapevine was a prominent symbol for the people of Israel. In fact, in the temple in that day, which is the very center of national life, there would have been a massive grapevine made of solid gold that was 90 feet high. It was a symbol of the nation and its prosperity. The vine was a favorite metaphor to describe God's people in the Old Testament. Time and time again, the people of Israel were likened to a vine. For example, if we look at Psalm 80, verses 8 through 11, it says, You, referring to God, brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shades, the mighty cedars with its branches. It is sent out, it sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Here God's people are described as a massive vine that was planted by the Lord. God had brought them out of Egypt, had given them their own land, and the whole purpose of their redemption would be that they would bear fruit for their joy and for God's pleasure. But if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that even though Israel was planted well by the Lord, she didn't produce the type of fruit the Lord wanted. The Lord reveals to us a truth about the people of Israel in Jeremiah chapter 2 when he says this. He says, I planted you a choice vine entirely of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? By and large, the Lord didn't find fruit in the nation of Israel, or at least the fruit that he was looking for from his beloved vine. The vine of Israel proved to be false. And so when Jesus claims to be, I am the true vine, it is quite scandalous and unexpected. 
He was saying that he was the faithful and true Israel. Where the people of Israel fail to produce the kind of fruit that God was looking for, Jesus will succeed. Where the people of Israel fell short of God's righteous requirement, Jesus will succeed. Though Israel bungled the mission to be a blessing to all the nation, Jesus will get the job done. And you may think, well, wait a minute. If Jesus is saying that he's the true Israel, does that mean that God has abandoned the Jewish people? And if so, what do we do with his claim to be faithful to his promises in the Old Testament? It is unavoidable for Jesus to use the term vine, this symbol in the Old Testament. But it does not mean that God has abandoned Israel. On the contrary, he sent Jesus to meet their deepest need. Jesus is their substitute. He is the sacrifice for their sins. He will bring them to God. Jesus is the most compelling proof of God's love for the nation of Israel. After all, isn't the Old Testament just simply a 2,000-year-long reminder that Israel was not able to please God through their own efforts? And so Jesus says, I am the true vine. And in that one earth-shattering sentence, I am the vine, Jesus announces that he is the new faithful planting of the Lord. And he represents the new people of God, a new people of God who exists to promote God's glory on the world, in the earth, for their joy in his glory. Not only that, but Jesus is the vine, the true vine, but we are the branches of that vine. In verse 5, Jesus tells his disciples, I am the vine, you are the branches. And Jesus makes it clear there are two different kinds of branches. One that is faithful and one that is unfruitful or fruitful and unfruitful. And that makes us think, like, which one are we? Which one are we? Are we a faithful branch? Do we produce what is pleasing to God? Or are we an unfaithful branch? And how can we know which one we are? How do we know if I'm fruitful or unfruitful? Well, this passage tells us that there's one difference between them. And we find it in verse 6 when Jesus says, Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. And so the secret for fruitful branches are that they abide in Christ. And so what does it mean to abide? Abide simply means to stay put, to remain, to linger in one place, to dwell. The most important thing for a branch to do is stay connected to the vine. Only a branch that receives the life-giving sap from the vine will have life and bear fruit. And so it is with most of us, with all of us. Most people in this world live as independent vines, thinking that they can please God through their own efforts, through their own strength, or that they are the only vine that is worth pleasing. But we are not autonomous vines. We are only branches. And as mere branches, the most important thing that we can do is to stick to Christ. Jesus says, whoever abides in me, he it is that bears much fruit. And conversely, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. 
What does it mean when he says, apart from me, that you can do nothing? Because in reality, we can do a lot of things apart from Christ. We can raise families. We can preach sermons. We can make billions of dollars. We can climb Mount Everest. We can renovate a bathroom in a weekend. We can put a man on the moon. We can do all of these things in our own capacity. And they even can go well for us. So why does Jesus say, apart from me, you can do nothing? There's only one thing that we can do that we can't do apart from Christ. We can't produce fruit. We can't produce fruit if we're disconnected to the vine. Branches can't do that. We can't produce the obedience and the righteousness that pleases God if we are not connected with Christ. If we continually live as independent of Jesus, we can look really good. We might even look successful or seem self-sufficient. We might get good results in the things that we do, but we will never produce the kind of fruit that is pleasing to God. How many of us go through life stubbornly dependent on our own strength and our own effort never really depending on God's power. The truth is, is that we are incapable of pleasing God until we are utterly dependent on Christ. And that is a truth that I have to remind myself of every single day of my life. And that is a truth that you must communicate to yourself every day of your life, that you are incapable of pleasing God until we are utterly dependent on Christ. Abiding in the vine is the difference between worthless branches and faithful ones. And what are the fate of those branches? Well, verse 6 tells us that branches that do not abide are gathered together and they are burned. And that is a hard truth. That a person that has no buds, no vital fruit, no growth in their life from the Spirit, those who live independently of Christ are ultimately only kindling for the eternal fires. But what about fruitful branches? What does this passage tell us about the reward for fruitful branches? Well, John's gospel here in this chapter doesn't make it clear what that reward is, but his entire gospel esteems that our reward is eternal life. And the gospel of John communicates eternal life not as something for later, but something for right now. That we, through belief in Jesus Christ, in the very moment that we believe, we have eternal life. And although the eternal destination of the fruitful branches is not mentioned in this passage, Jesus does tell us that those fruitful branches will be pruned. Fruitful branches will be refined, it will be improved, by the skillful care that comes from the sharp knife of the Father. Why are we cut? Why are we pruned? So that everything old and dead, everything that gets in the way of us bearing fruit is taken away. You know, there's not much said in this passage about what that pruning looks like. But it seems clear to us that it's a painful process that it's a purifying process. There are many of you in this room today that understand the pruning process and how painful it is. 
But we all must remember that even the fruitful vines will endure hardship. Actually, we can say that especially the fruitful vines will endure hardship. God brings his branches through painful circumstances. We almost always default to instinctively thinking that God, that this sort of painful life, the suffering, is God's way of punishing us or rejecting us. But Jesus tells us that painful pruning and the process of it is not punishment. Instead, it's the tender gift of a loving father. And so how does he go about pruning us? The answer is, or I should say, how do we know that we're being pruned? Well, the answer is when we become more reliant on the vine for our life and our strength. The great irony is that sometimes it is the fruitful branches that feel the most frail. And in the winter of drastic pruning, we may not feel that we are fruitful at all. But if we draw more deeply from the life-giving vine in the times of our great need, we can be assured that the master gardener is pruning us. We can be assured that the vine will produce a greater fruit in the future. And so how do we respond in times of difficulty and disappointment? Do you crawl closer to the vine in humble dependence in prayer? Or do you pull away in bitter pride? Let us draw near Christ in our difficult times, not pull away from him. For when we draw near to him in our pain, that pain becomes pruning, and that pruning will yield a harvest. The author of Hebrews teaches us the very same thing. In Hebrews 12, it says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who are being trained by it. We cannot please God without Christ. We cannot please God without Christ. Do you understand the implications of that? Like a Muslim cannot please God no matter how devoted he may be until they are connected to the vine that cannot produce the fruit of righteousness that God sees as pleasing. The Jew cannot please God no matter how strictly they follow the law unless they are connected to the vine. The moral American who goes to church every Sunday, who doesn't cheat on their taxes and provides for their family, cannot please God apart from Christ. You and I are not able to please God. Only in our clinging to the vine, in our humble dependency, does it work. This is what Jesus means in verse 4 when he says, Nothing can you bear, neither can you bear fruit by yourself unless you abide in me. Do you want to produce the fruit that is pleasing to God? Are you eager to be pleasing to God? There is only one way to be pleasing to God. Abide in Jesus. That is the central message of this passage. It all comes down to whether or not you are abiding in Christ. Many times people will teach this passage in a way that says, hey, you need to check the fruit in your life. And if you don't have enough fruit in your life, know this, that you're going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. Do you want to be thrown into the fire of hell? 
If you want to avoid hell, you better roll up your sleeves and start working and begin to produce fruit in your life. But that is a tragic misdirection in this passage. That kind of preaching misses the whole point. Jesus makes it clear that you can't produce any fruit by ourselves. We can't produce any fruit by just trying harder. You can't simply just get your fruit on. If we want to bear fruit, we have one option, abide in Christ. That's the only thing that we have. Abide in me is what these verses command us, but it's also an invitation. Abide in me and I will abide in you. And so this leads to this question. If abiding in Jesus is all I can do, how do I do it? What do we mean by abiding? Well, one translation communicates abiding as setting up camp, taking up residency, to stay put. So abiding is deciding where you belong and where you will stay. There is a beginning to abiding. The whole book of John was written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing in the name of Christ that you would have life by his name. So the starting point of abiding is believing God's word and embracing the message that Jesus Christ is God's righteous vine and admitting that there is no one that can please God apart from Christ. Perhaps that's never been a confession of your life. Perhaps that you have never in humility surrendered to God in that way, that you've never embraced Jesus as the only source of life and fruit. And friend, I pray for you that you would bind your life to the vine that is true and righteous, that you would surround yourself with godly influence, that you would seek dependency on him because apart from Christ, and I'll say this over and over again because it's the most important truth in your life that we can do nothing He's the only way, the only truth, and the only life. But for most of us in here, we've already begun to abide. We have already communicated faith in Jesus Christ, believing that he is God's provision of life for us. And yet how often or how desperate do we seek his strength in life and truth and help? In the day-to-day, there is a continual need to abide. There is a, an experience of abiding that we often forget. The truth is it's nonsense. It's nonsense to begin the Christian life by putting all of your trust in Jesus and then try to live the Christian life without him by your own strength. Even when we become Christians, we can still do nothing apart from him. We must be drinkers who are deeply drinking of Christ's love, who are drawing near to the vitality that is pulsating through his vine. We are invited to depend on him more fully, to remain fixed on him. We are invited to strengthen our connection with him. We're called upon to call upon him in greater dependency and humility. Theologian James Boyce writes this about abiding. When our Lord says, abide in me, He is talking about the will, about the choice, the decisions we make. We must decide to do things which expose to him and keep ourselves in contact with him. This is what it means to abide in him. Do we honestly look at our lives and say, Lord, Lord, I need that. I was wrong there. Are we exposing ourselves to God and saying, Lord, I need you? 
staying connected to him. And in addition to prayerful dependency, there's the importance of God's word. We find this in verses three and seven. First, we see that it is God's word that makes the branches clean. Jesus says to his disciples in verse three, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. And it's interesting that the word clean in Greek is this term, kera rao. And it's very close to the word pruning, which is kera ari. So one of the major ways in which we're pruned and cleaned is through the word of God. God's word applied with the spirit, activated by humble faith and dependency, that sends the life-giving power of Jesus Christ coursing through our veins. And we find a similar idea in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. As we abide in him, there is an abiding that he does in us. And his abiding in us takes us to takes place by and large through his word. And so there is no question that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. But when we abide in Christ through humble dependence and faith in the gospel, God's life-giving power will produce his fruit in our lives. And what is the purpose of that fruit? Well, think about fruit. Think about the things that grow on tree. What is that fruit there for? It's to make the seed attractive. Every fruit has a seed, unless it's genetically modified not to. Why did God make every fruit have a seed? Well, the fruit is the aroma, the attraction that draws the wild animals, that draws them in to do what? To eat it to eat of it. And when they eat the fruit, do you know what they also eat? They eat the seed. Now, does the seed dissolve? We live in a place that loves sweet corn. You know if you eat a lot of corn around here that a day later, you're going to look in the water and what are you going to find? You're going to find corn still there. Animals eat the fruit. They travel, they meander, they burrow, and a day later, seed comes out. And guess what happens? That seed has moved to a new place where it grows anew. That is the purpose of fruit in our lives. Friend, God doesn't produce fruit in your life for your own enjoyment, for your self-sufficiency. God produces fruit in our life that we would give it away. That the fruit that he produces in our life would be the sweet aroma that the world around us sees the beauty of Christ and they would eat of it and they would eat of it and they would eat of the seed and the seed would do its work in our lives and that seed would then move to other places and so forth. That is the fruit that is pleasing to God. And as we abide in Christ, God sees the good fruit that he's looking for. Jesus communicates it this way in verse eight. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The fruit is for spreading, but also what does it do? It brings glory to God. 
God is pleased when he sees the fruit of him in the life of disciples. We are to abide in Christ by faith, and we are to bring God pleasure through our fruit. And that fruit brings joy into our life. As Christians, we must be connected to the vine if we are ever going to fully live out our purpose on earth, because our purpose on earth is simply to produce fruit that is pleasing and glorifying to God. And so how is it we can be pleasing and glorifying to God? Only in abiding in the true vine. Only by taking up residence in Jesus Christ. So friends, today I ask you, are, are you abiding in him? Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This is the big idea today. There is nothing we can do to please God without Christ. Nothing we can do to please God without Christ. And we take the truth of his word today that says that I am speaking these things and giving these things so that my joy will be in you and that your joy will be complete. This truth is for our joy and God's glory.